Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. We're heading inside the tent with an injury update from the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, you know what time it is when you hear that uh, promo. That's when we bring in our good friend, uh, Dr. Robert O'Dell. And I don't know if Dr. Michael Moses is with us. Uh, Dr. O'Dell will let us know uh, if that is the case. But uh, Dr. O'Dell from uh, Las Vegas uh, Neuropathy and Pain Center of Las Vegas uh, joins us each week to talk about uh, pain management, uh, injuries uh, across the NFL. Right now the NBA playoffs are going on. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the different types of pain um, that Dr. Odell deals with, manages, mitigates, uh, and helps people overcome on a daily basis. Dr. Robert Odell, how are you doing today? Doing good. I, I uh, sent an email to uh, uh, Dr. Moses, and I haven't heard back. It's a bit late there, 8 p.m., so he may not be available. But I'll do no, worries. no worries. No worries. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? Uh, it's been beautiful weather. Uh, it, we, we, it cooled down a little bit, so we've been in the 70s and 80s uh, throughout the last few days. It's just been a remarkably beautiful last few days, uh, Dr. Adele. How have you been doing? Doing great. Working on my trains and trying to help a doctor in Alabama from losing his license uh, for overprescribing, which he wasn't doing. So, you know, it goes on. The beat goes it on. Does. <laughs> it does. It certainly does. Uh, Dr. Odell, I wanted to talk to you um, about, um, I'm not sure you're uh, familiar with the injury but um, or what happened really, uh, but yesterday in the Lakers game, uh, playoff game against the Suns, um, Chris Paul, who plays for the Phoenix Suns, uh, kind of knocked awkwardly into one of his uh, teammates and, um, and ended up suffering what was uh, described as a, as a shoulder contusion. Um, Chris Paul said at the time, uh, that he heard like a crack um, and was on the ground withering in pain. They took him to the locker room. He was able to, to come back out and, and play, although he was obviously hampered. Uh, but if you could just kind of maybe describe what a, what a shoulder contusion might be and, and, and how that might hamper uh, Chris Paul moving forward in the playoffs. Well, a crack uh, can be a lot of things. It'll be a bone cracking. It can actually also be the escape of air in your joint which if he did come back and play, there probably was not any bony pathology, so he was able to come back. Um, keep in mind, though, that even with a contusion, a direct blow to, to, an, uh, to a part of the body, there can be soft tissue injury. And I have no way of knowing exactly, uh, you know, the extent of that. Now, if he did come in and play, if he did come in back and played, it's probable, I'm, I'm just speculating that he will be fine you know, a couple of days from now, as time goes on, and of course, they get first-rate rehabilitation and training. Although I must add, they should—they'd be real happy with a Synexus device, unlike in the world. But uh, I, I think—I uh, uh, I believe from the brief description you gave me—is that he will be able to come back uh, and and probably play at his at, at his level because a crack, a broken bone, of course, you know, you're done. But. A crack, as you say, as I said, can also be air escaping from a joint. My knees do that all the time, and my knees are fine. I have no pain. So it's it's really nothing to worry about if you hear these sounds and uh, you have no pain. 
this might sound like a uh, naive question, uh, but I'm going to ask it again. Or we're going to ask it. Um, is that similar to cracking your knuckles? Uh, is that what's actually going on when you're cracking your knuckles? That sound that we hear when we do it, is that maybe what this could have been? Yeah, exactly. My dad liked to pull my toes when I was a kid. I hated it, but they always cracked. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and from the joint. Are we yeah. to do, are, should we believe in any of those old wives' tales that we used to hear back in the day about uh, cracking our knuckles? Is it good, bad, indifferent? Does it really matter if we do or don't? I don't think it matters, as long as you don't hurt them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can All think right, of better things to do with my time, you know. <laughs> Yeah, same here, same here. But uh, it is, it is, and it's, and it can be a little bit annoying uh, if somebody uh, is doing it near you. But uh, I guess we all have to put up with little things uh, in life. All right, so Dr. Odell and I, I reached out to you this morning um, to bring this up uh, to talk about all the various types of pains uh, that that we deal with, um, and you know sometimes we don't know, we don't know how to classify it. I, I certainly don't, um, and so we wanted uh, to talk to you about certain types of pains, uh, what to look for, and how you guys um, are able to manage them and, and, and mitigate them. Uh, but I'm just going to throw them out at you, and you can take them one at a time, uh, however you want to do it. But uh, it's uh, neuro neuropathetic pain, functional pain, uh, noiseptive pain. Is that how I pronounce it? Noiseptive, yeah. Noiseptive pain and acute, acute pain. And chronic pain. I know I threw a lot at you, but these are important uh, designations uh, in your line of work and for people in general. If you could kind of, you know, just just sort of sort it all out on on the, on the various differences between those uh, types of pains. Well, acute and chronic pain is really easy. Acute pain is pain that is probably less than three to six months, depending on uh, your di depending on your uh, the definition. Um, acute pain is is pain that is is you know from a from an accident or from a acute injury, a pull, whatever. Chronic pain occurs three to six months later when this pain is far outlasting um, what it takes, what normally would happen to heal it. And that's, of course, where we step in. I mean, we treat acute pain and chronic pain in our clinic. Acute pain is treated much differently, of course. The chiropractors, the physical therapists are very good at that. Now, nociceptive and neuropathic pain are different because neuropathic pain is the nerve itself is the problem. I developed a protocol using the Synexus device and some injections to, to reverse peripheral neuropathy and other forms of neuropathic pain. Uh, nociceptive pain is the nerves doing their job. If you pinch yourself, that hurts. That's the A-delta fibers firing, and that is the body reporting. So I've had a few patients lately with pain in their feet it turned out not to be neuropathic pain, but there was something wrong with the foot. Uh, you know, uh, uh, arthritis in a joint, or you know, various different things. Um, now, uh, uh, that, that's a real important designation. Many, many people think that chronic pain can be a combination of neuropathic and nociceptive, and I'm really well, don't want to hold myself out as an expert. We believe, though, with the techniques we have at our clinic, that we can treat them both. It doesn't really matter how you're going to classify them. We do have some subtle differences in how we do it, but but um, I'm not sure that the differentiation between the two when somebody has chronic pain really matters that much, although there are some principles we have to follow. 
Which one is there? One that, uh, that that's more prevalent uh, that that you're dealing with, and um, you know uh, when you see people on a daily basis. No, no, about, about the same because we are the neuropathy and pain centers of Las Vegas or in America. So you know, fifty-fifty. I mean, it, so it's it's both, and that's what I enjoy about the practice is I see a wide variety of of uh, patients with uh, different kinds of problems that we can usually fix. You know, when, and this is always, and by the way, if you want to call uh, Dr. Odell, and we urge this all the time, uh, give them a call at 702-257-7246. And I say that uh, because, and Dr. Odell always, um, you know, reminds of this, just reminds us of this, just because you're getting older doesn't mean you have to deal with pain. I know we put those two and those things together a little bit uh, and just assume that it's just a part of getting old. It's just a part of something that you have to deal with. And yes, it is, but there's ways to deal with it that give you relief. And Dr. Odell um, and his staff are there for that very purpose. Uh, so give it a, give them a call, please, at 702-257-7246. Um, when, 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 when patients come to you, um, you know, how, how long does it take to kind of differentiate between what you guys are talking about or what you're dealing with, would you say? We do a, do a history and physical. Uh, we do a nerve test called neural scan, which measures the E-delta or the fast pain fibers. It's not an EMG, which are worthless. It measures the fibers that are actually causing the pain. And we can very quickly sometimes tell where the pain's coming from. In fact, we're talking about this, I think, on Wednesday at 3.30 on Wellness Wednesdays on Channel 3, I believe. And I was working on that, uh, that uh, interview uh, this morning. We try to uh, get the root cause of the pain so don't have to keep giving people uh, narcotics. Uh, narcotics are okay for acute pain. I mean, you know, you start low, you go slow. The pendulum is swung in, a, in the other direction too much. You know, used, used judiciously by somebody who knows what they're doing, there's a place for narcotics for pain relief. That's why God gave us an endorphin system, which are, excuse me, naturally occurring narcotics, a naturally occurring um, mu opioid system is what it's called. But uh, once once people develop into chronic pain, then then sometimes all bets are off, and we have to use different techniques, and we don't want to have to rely on the opioids if we can. You know, for a long time we thought the opioids were benign for chronic non-cancer pain. Well, that's probably not the case. They're probably a little bit more risky than we thought. And that's, of course, why the CDC came out in 2016 with a revision, uh, kind of a walk back in 2019 about the national guidelines for treating chronic pain. It's a, it's a difficult problem. Uh, it's a shame that we can't come up with a medicine, uh, a narcotic, for example, that doesn't have the euphoria. But that's just the way life is. We try to find the root cause and get people off pain. Uh, those of you taking gabapentin and Lyrica. I rarely write prescriptions for that stuff. I usually tell people how to how to get off of it because we actually can improve neuropathic pain, which these two medications are primarily used for. Dr. Odell, I know that there isn't a uh, hard and fast rule on any of this. Every, every situation is different. Um, but when it does come to chronic pain, um, how much how important is is it uh, uh, to, to stress to patients that there's really no it's not necessarily a miracle and it, and it could be an ongoing type process, maybe even for the rest of your life, to deal uh, with, with certain ailments. Now, you can get relief for periods of time, 
uh, and then you know through exercise and, and repeat uh, you know uh, visits uh, to you guys it can be managed for the duration uh, but you have to always stay on top of it um, is, is is that part of the process as well a lot of people we treat we fix they don't have to come back for a while or at all that's awesome that's awesome that's why we need to advertise to get more patients <laughs> right but no I mean we uh, I, I this nerve test I can nail at the spine where the level of pain generator is and more often than not the people don't have to come back I mean sometimes they come back with a 50 percent relief and there's another generator or something's more complicated but you know that's why you know we call it the practice of medicine so you just look at it and try to figure out what else is going on Sometimes I'll do an exam under floral where I'll look at the back, I'll push on structures with the x-ray, the fluoroscopy, and if something hurts when you push on it, sometimes that might be the pain generator. Uh, for example, uh, the iliac crest, which is your hip bone in the back, we're finding now that there's some nerves that come over there that innervate the, uh, the butt muscles, the gluteal muscles, and we have a great treatment for that now by putting a stimulator in. I've, I've done four or five of those, and it, it's a miracle. We... we didn't even know about this three or four years ago. People had back pain, they had to live with it. Now, not so much. It's a very, very simple procedure. Even me and not a surgeon is allowed to put it in because it's so superficial. I'm not suggesting somebody would need that, but the techniques are, are, are wonderful. I, I may have mentioned on your show, there's no need, in my opinion, to have a total knee replacement unless it's a major trauma or something. It, it really isn't. And if you do have a total knee replacement and it hurts, as 20% do, come and see me because there's other things that we can do i want this is going out to everyone that's listening to us live and everyone that listens to us uh on the podcast version uh that gets posted every night and i want to thank all the listeners i hope uh, they're, i hope they're live yeah <laughs> alive and live um but I, I i want you to just consider what the doctor just said that Many, many, many cases are literally one and done. So I don't want to call it a miracle because a lot of hard work has been put into um, coming up with all these answers and solutions and different procedures and, and all these different that, that they're changing by the day, by the way, and improving by the day. So it's not a miracle. It's due to hard work. Um, and but but just consider what he just said, that there is the ability to identify exactly what you're dealing with and come up with a solution that fixes it to the point where you may never see Dr. Odell again. Not that we don't want you to ever go by and say hello and, uh, and, 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 and say thanks and become friends with them, but it literally is at that point. And I want you to consider that because then I want you to ask how great would that be to be able to overcome maybe forever, hopefully, something that you've been dealing with and just think that you have to deal with just because you're a certain age or getting older or maybe you, right, exactly. Uh, exactly. you know, you, you don't have to. And so I urge you, please call Dr. Odell uh, and his staff 702-257-7246. And this is what the, this is what kind of guy Dr. Odell is. A, if he can't help you, he'll let you know and, and point you in a direction that can. And B, if you're driving all the way across town or have to, he'll probably tell you who you could call uh, one of his colleagues um, uh, here in Las Vegas or wherever you might be uh, but, but to Vin, help you out. Vinny, Vinny, there's one type of pain we can't fix. Spouses. Which one is that? Spouses. <laughs> I was just going to say the pain in the 
the pain in the beep person that uh, that we might have to deal with on a daily basis. But uh, yes, you answered. You, you provided the perfect I hope answer. My wife that. isn't listening. I don't. Think Same here, Doctor Adele. Same I here. I think she doesn't turn the AM radio on. There you go. There you go. We'll hope that uh, that that, that one just deep doo doo. <laughs> Same here. Same here, <laughs> Doctor Odell. Thank you so much. You. Have a tremendous week. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk to you uh, the next time. Uh, really appreciate the time. And again, to everyone out there, call them seven zero two two five seven seven two four six. Have a great week, Doctor Odell. Oh, thanks, Vinny. Thank you very much. You got it. That was Doctor Odell uh, from the Neuropathy and Pain Center of Las Vegas. Give them a call seven zero two two five seven seven two four six. They can work miracles. They literally can. We'll talk to you on the other side. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monster brought to you by Tequila Nevada. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Dr. Robert Odell from the Neuropathy and Pain Center of Las Vegas. Uh, welcome back here in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. And uh, a lot of things that Embajador uh, uh, Tequila is uh, is putting a lot of things in the work um, for, for next season and some, uh, some get-togethers um, with Raider fans. Uh, either the day before game or even on the day of games uh, next year. So uh, uh, it'll be cool to see everybody and uh, to get to know all you guys, uh, you know, at, at some point if you're in town um, for a Raiders game. Um, you know, we're going to try to put put together some events where we could all get together the day before the game and meet each other and talk about the Raiders, your favorite team, and, uh, and, and have a little bit of fun as well. Because you know what? This is what it's all about. And, uh, you know, I know that Ticket prices are, are pretty crazy. Um, you know, the secondary market has gotten a hold of, uh, of things a little bit. And, um, you know, understanding the history of the moment where, you know, first season here in Las Vegas where fans are going to be able to, uh, to be allowed over in uh, Allegiant Stadium, that, that's looking more and more like it's definitely going to be the case. And we're all fired up about that. Um, but because of the historic nature of what's going on, first season in Las Vegas where fans are involved in it, um, prices are going to reflect that on the secondary market. Uh, it's just to be expected. And uh, so no shock there. And you look uh, at all the stories, uh, the Raiders secondary uh, ticket prices and tickets are among the most popular tickets um, across the NFL. No shock there. Raider Nation um, wants to be a part of this. Uh, they look at Allegiant Stadium. I see them every day. You drive by Allegiant Stadium and see the throngs of fans that are out there Um whether it's just take pictures of the stadium or go check out the Raider Image Store uh, at Allegiant Stadium. Um, the sense of pride that Raider Nation has for this new beautiful stadium, that's theirs. It's their home. It's, the, it's finally the Raiders have, and, and their fans, have a home uh, to be proud of. And that doesn't take anything away from, from any of their previous homes. Um, they won a Super Bowl in Los Angeles. They won multiple Super Bowls in Oakland. Uh, the fans in Oakland, um, you know, obviously were passionate. The fans in Los Angeles were passionate. passionate. Their fans across the country uh, and the world are, are, are passionate. Uh, the problem was, you know, unfortunately, because of how things work, um, especially in the state of California, uh, it, it's just it was hard for the Raiders to get something 
done in, in that state, whether it was the Bay Area or Los Angeles, and they tried to do every which way possible to get something done in both markets, Los Angeles and, and the Bay Area. It, it, it never happened. There's a lot of reasons uh, why that was the case. Um, but all along, the Davis family, um, and in, in, in particular, of late, obviously, um, after the, uh, you know, the passing of, of, of Al Davis, Mark Davis, um, his son, you know, and, and Mark Bedane, the Raiders uh, president, the, the sense of, there were two things going on. One was a real sense of obligation uh, to their great fans. And I, and I mean that. That, that, that really pushed them and moved them um, to get something done that everybody could be proud of. The team itself, the coaching staff, the club, the, the, the franchise, everybody that works there. Um, so there was no question that that was a motivation. There was a motivation from a financial standpoint to be able to put themselves in a position to, to uh, legitimately being a, be able to compete with 31 other franchises on an even, much more even uh, playing uh, and financial playing field because that wasn't the case. Uh, you have to understand that so many new stadiums opened up across the NFL just from the early 90s to now, right? Uh, year after year after year, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, the Baltimore Ravens, um, the, the, the New England Patriots, the New York Giants, uh, the Washington Football Club, the Seattle Seahawks, the Denver Broncos, uh, the Houston Texans. Uh, I could go on and on and on, really across the league, the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, all of these teams over the years were able to get the Dallas Cowboys, were able, Minnesota Vikings were able to get new stadiums done in their markets. Um, and in doing so, it changed the entire complexion of really the haves and have-nots um, financially in the NFL. And when I talk about the haves and have-nots, I'm talking about the, the finances and the revenue streams that are associated with these brand new buildings and the, the suites and the club seats and the restaurants and all of the you know uh, beautiful new perks and all of these beautiful new stadiums offered to fans to enhance the game day experience that created revenue streams that then went back into the product and the product meaning being able to hire good coaches and attract new free agency free agents and upgrade facilities all of those things that were available to all of these teams that started building all these new stadiums were unavailable to the Raiders playing in an outdated stadium up in Oakland I've told the story many times um, you know where um, you know where we're talking to Mark Davis prior to um, a practice, or it was after a practice in, in uh, Oakland, uh, or excuse me, in, in Oxnard, California. And, um, you know, I remember telling him, like, because at that time, that was when the Raiders were thinking about moving to Los Angeles. They were trying to, they were getting involved in the Los Angeles pursuit. Why? Because they needed a new stadium. They needed a long-term new stadium um, to help for the reasons that I just articulated. And I remember telling Mark Davis, you know, if you move to Los Angeles, um, you know, the, the uh, worth of your franchise is going to grow um, significantly and he's like you know what you can you can you can 
call me crazy, you can call me a liar, you can call me whatever you want to call me, but none of that matters to me. I don't care how it's going to change the value of the team or me or anything like that. I just want to be able to tap into resources that everyone else is able to tap into right now in order to compete with everybody else in the league. Because right now I can't, we can't, you know, and, 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 you know, he would explain to me, look, we're 31st annually, 30th, 31st on the revenue, um, uh, chain of command in the NFL. You know, you have uh, the New York Giants, the Dallas Cowboys up there at number one, and way down there at number 31 were the Raiders and the Chargers and that, that, at that time the Rams. And the disparity between being up in the 30s and down, or excuse me, up in the ones and top five and down near the 30s, near the bottom, was so significant. And we're talking in the hundreds of millions of dollars that it's not insignificant, that you would have to be naive to think that doesn't matter when it comes to being able to put teams together and, and, and compete. And so Mark Davis told me that's, that's, that's what this is all about, trying to win Super Bowls, trying to be able to get on an even a more even footing with 31 other teams. Um, well, that's happened now. So that was one motivation and a huge motivation. But also, in addition to that, and just as importantly, was a sense of obligation to give Raider Nation a home to be proud of. And when you, when you drive by Allegiant Stadium and you see all the Raider fans out there, and I'm talking about on a daily basis, 24-7, period, exclamation point. There are fans always out there just taking this new stadium in pictures, selfies, going to the Raider uh, image store, taking tours now because tours are available, just taking it in. And the sense of pride that they have of finally having this, what it is is legitimately a palace here in Las Vegas for all of Raider Nation to be able to be part of and take in and experience and call their own uh, is, is a sense of pride that permeates throughout that organization. There is such satisfaction for being able to accomplish, on the one hand, now being able to compete in a much more even way against 31 other teams in the NFL that had a financial edge over the Raiders because they had stadiums that generated revenue that the Raiders simply didn't have access to because their stadium didn't generate it. A lot of satisfaction in, in that objective being met, but just as much in the pride and the smiles and the, and the satisfaction that this stadium has elicited throughout Raider Nation. And to see it every day is, is pretty cool. And for me, I'm really interested to see how it manifests itself on a game day, um, because I think it's going to be spectacular. Obviously, the Raiders have to do their part. They've got to win games. They've got to put a compelling product uh, out on the field. They've got to give some the fans something um, to be proud of, not just the stadium itself, but the team on the field. And I think that they're, they're absolutely cognizant of that, and they're absolutely taking the necessary steps uh, to address that. Um, but when, it's, when it is rolling, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be rolling to some extent this year. 
it's going to be really interesting to see what that stadium uh, is all about and how much of an edge it creates um, for for the Raiders. Um, it's, it's, it's really going to be cool uh, to see. And we keep moving further and further or closer and closer to that moment. Um, you know, last year was just... I, I don't even have the words to describe <laughs> last year. It was just different in, in every phase possible and in every way possible. Think about this. Sometime this week, I'm going to go over to the practice facility in Henderson. I'm going to be able to get on a football field and I'm going to be able to watch practice in OTAs. We haven't had OTAs since 2019. And that in itself, for this particular team, is so significant. It's so important. I'm not using it as an excuse um, for, for, for the Raiders last year. I'm not, okay? But it's part of that calculus of their 8-8 eight and eight record. It just is. To deny that, to discount it, um, to just brush it off is, is just not being realistic, because it was a factor. It wasn't the end-all, be-all, but it played a role in how the Raiders' season unfolded last year. And it's so easy to see when you really, really look at it. Where were the Raiders the most vulnerable last year? Where were they the youngest last year? Where were they the most inexperienced last year? Where were they trying to massage the the most new starters in last year the answer to every one of those questions is defense not offense defense on offense you had a quarterback that was coming back for his third year in the program you had a thousand yard rusher in in um in josh jacobs you had darren waller who's coming off a spectacular year the year before you had uh, what was going into the season the most, uh, ex- the, 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 the arguably the best offensive line in the NFL, you were pretty set if you're the Raiders offensively, at least much more prepared and better off to deal with the craziness that happened last year and the things that weren't able to unfold like OTAs on offense. It was the defense all along that was always going to be hurt most by a condensed offseason or really last year, no offseason whatsoever. It's not a shock when you start looking at it from that perspective. So it's not an excuse. It's a valid explanation. It hurt the defense most because the defense was the most vulnerable going into last year. The most inexperienced and the youngest side of the ball. That's probably going to change this year. And I think the defense is going to play better just off of that part of it alone and you add better talent and you add a new coach in Gus Bradley and things are lining up better for this defense. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahutter. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM.
What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. on a beautiful Monday. It's gorgeous today. Um, you're in the huddle of Indy Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Just uh, looking at a tweet. Um, you guys know Ramona Shelburne, right, from uh, ESPN, and Jessica Mendoza from uh, from ESPN. Um, well, a uh, little backstory. I covered both of them uh, when they were high school softball players in Southern California. Uh, Ramona went to El Camino Real High School in, uh, in Woodland Hills, and uh, Jessica went to Camarillo High School, a little bit further up north, uh, off, right off the 101 freeway, not too far from Woodland Hills. And uh, I was a high school reporter back in the, those days. I was covering, I, Friday I mentioned Gilbert Arenas, and um, I go on and on with the uh, Justin Vargas, uh, who, who ended up playing for the Raiders. Uh, just tremendous amount of talent, obviously, in Southern California. Two of the best ever <laughs> to do their thing were uh, Ramona Shelburne and, and Jessica Mendoza. And they both ended up at Stanford University, where I believe they won a national championship. Ramona's going to kill me um, if I don't remember that or if I don't uh, get that one correctly. Um, but you guys, if you know Ramona Shelburne, she's a tremendous, tremendous writer and tremendous broadcaster um, with ESPN. When I say that she writes circles around people, she writes circles around people. She is a, an award-winning journalist, straight out. She's tremendous at what she does. Well, um, and she's also the reason why I moved from taking notes to actually doing the whole tape recorder thing back in the uh, you know uh, late 90s when she was uh, a star catcher at El Camino Real High. Uh, because she talked so fast that I couldn't take good notes, so I had to tape record her, and uh, and so uh, I give her credit for that. But um, I don't like to name drop here. But back in the day, she's at Stanford, right? And um, and and so she calls me one day out of the blue, and she's I think she's going into her senior year. She might have been a junior going into her senior year, and it's getting around to be summertime. And she calls me up, hey, how you doing? Blah blah, you know, great. And she's like, look, you know, I'm, 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 I'm getting the writing bug. I'm getting the journalism bug. You know, is there any way maybe you could pull a few strings and, and maybe get an intern, if, there, if there's any way for an internship, you know, at the Los Angeles Daily News. That's where I was uh, working at the time. Los Angeles Daily News was the paper of record in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. So I said, let me see what I could do. I marched right into my um, editor's office and I go, look, man. Uh, I don't ask <laughs> the time of day from a clock, all right? I don't ask for favors like this, but I'm asking you to do me a solid here because I really believe that who I'm about to uh, recommend for an internship is going to be spectacular in this business. I just had a gut instinct in talking to Ramona and covering Ramona um, that she was going to be somebody special in this business. And I was like, look... Uh, Ramona Shelburne, El Carmine Oriaya High, she's now at Stanford, uh, she's catching the journalism bug, she called me to find out if there's any way that maybe we can make room for her uh, on an internship basis this summer. And so, you know, my sports editor, Doug Jacobs, um, uh, at the time said, you know what, um, just by the way you're talking about it, uh, I'm feeling it too. So yeah, absolutely, tell her that uh, we got her hooked up. That was the start of her um, illustrious career. And there isn't, a, I mean, I'm proud of a lot of people that I've crossed paths with over the years. And if I could have helped in any small little way, uh, a 
grateful for that because I know that there are plenty of people that helped me along the way. You don't get to anywhere in life doing it on your own. Um, you're not going to punch your way uh, to the top. Um, you have to figure your way out. And there's a lot of people that help along the way. And just to have a small little um, part of the success for Ramona Shelburne is, for me, one of the most gratifying things in my career because when I say that she's spectacular at what she does, um, you remember how I always say, Chama Bay used to always say, the ones who know, know. You know, it doesn't matter sometimes if everybody doesn't necessarily know or get it, but the ones who should know, know. Um, and, and everyone understands that Ramona's great. But anyway, she, she t tweeted out, this is 20 years ago, it makes us all feel a little bit older. Um, but it was a situation when they were at Stanford and they were playing the College World Series against LSU 1-1. Ramona's at second base. Uh, and Jessica, who, by the way, um, you look at Jessica and she was, you know, just a, what might have been five, six, um, just very, you know, she, she played catcher in high school. She had no business playing catcher, but she was tough as nails, but she hit bombs, bombs. Like, like we had like this home run hitting contest, um, for the daily news, all area team. And I, we didn't really bet, but I said, Jessica Mendoza is going to win this. And everyone was looking at her and looking at some of the other, uh, girls, uh, and they're like, well, where's her power come from? I go, I don't know, but her wrists are electrifyingly fast. And she gets power on the ball like you're not going to believe. I don't care that she looks, you know, like a second baseman. Um, she's going to, and sure enough, she won uh, the home run hitting contest. She was an All-American. Uh, she was an Olympian. She was the one of the greatest athletes that I've ever covered in my career. Uh, softball player over at uh, Camarillo High School. And she's gone on to do tremendous, tremendous things as well. I'm so proud of her uh, as well, uh, doing her thing for ESPN. So in that clip, Jessica uh, drives a, uh, went out and got it too. A great piece of hitting. Hits a gapper. Ramona scores the, uh, I guess it was the winning run to make it 2-1. Uh, against LSU, and if you catch it, they're on Sports Center talking about it. So uh, go check that out. Go taking a trip down memory lane. Uh, but anyway, hey, a big day tomorrow um, for the Raiders. Uh, today was a continuation of the rookie um, uh, initiate or uh, a program where you're getting guys acclimated and all that. But tomorrow is one of the most important days on the calendar for the Raiders in 2021. Uh, they start phase three of OTAs. They're going to be able to get on the field. It's going to be a quasi-normal workday. What you're trying to do is kind of get into the rhythm of the normal workday. It's not going to be the long workday that it normally is in the regular season. Um, it's more of a uh, – it's going to be like a six-hour workday uh, beginning tomorrow and for the days that you're out there uh, on the field. Uh, but it, it, it kind of gets close to what you see during training camp in the regular season. And then the mini camp, the significance of mini camp is they try to make it as close to a kind of like a training camp day slash regular season practice day. Everything is sort of scheduled in that way. That's why it's so important uh, to try to get the rhythm uh, of, of the, of the workday down and, um, and the structure of the workday down. Uh, but tomorrow, first day of OTAs, phase three, it'll last a month. Can't wait to get out there to see it. And then I, we can talk about it, um, you know, uh, in the huddle. Really appreciate uh, Sam Gordon for stopping by, uh, Dr. Odell for stopping by. Uh, shout out to Demon Cotton, our great producer, uh, for holding things down uh, over at uh, home base. We'll be back at it tomorrow. I believe I'm at the Raiders practice facility uh, in Henderson, maybe even tomorrow and Wednesday. We'll see. 
Um, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Thanks to Embajador Tequila for being a great sponsor. Thanks to everybody listening, all the callers. You know why we do this. It's for you. Talk to you guys tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. <laughs>